welcome to the Chapel Chatter Podcast, a KCU campus ministry podcast. I am your host, Jacob Shockey, campus minister at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. And it's our hope that you find this podcast encouraging and challenging for your faith, as we will discuss several different elements of the faith and ministry, not only with KCU students, faculty, and staff, but also our guests who speak in our weekly chapel services. Uh, today, I, I simply want to take some time to explain a little bit as to why we're adding this as a feature of the campus ministry, um, as well as explaining some ministry in the midst of the pandemic and our chapel theme for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, there's actually a few reasons why we are adding a podcast to the campus ministry here at KCU. The first is simply just adding another form of communication for our students and extended family of KCU. Um, we hope this could be another format with which they can hear from other br brothers and sisters in the faith um, while they're on the go. You know, we, we live in a high-paced society, very fast-paced society. So the podcast format gives another opportunity to digest more information while we're on the go. Um, I know during this pandemic, um, a lot of things are being modified and there's a lot of change and it's a crazy time. And so we just want to have as many different outlets as we possibly can for our students and for our alumni, for um, friends of the college, um, whoever you might be. Um, we just want to be able to provide a a, not, not a good product, but just um, faithful service to you. Um, we're, we're called to love you. We're called to encourage. We're called to um, continue to grow in knowledge and in faith. So, again, it's my hope that this can, this can serve that role. But the second reason is um, this will allow a space for our guests that we have on campus to explain a little bit more about their ministries for those that are interested. Um, an integral part of the DNA at KCU is our chapel services every Tuesday and Thursday. And the school has a rich history of bringing in a wide variety of speakers, uh, ranging from ministers and local church, um, nonprofits, uh, missionaries, uh, former athletes, um, and, and many more. So it's always an encouragement to be able to hear how God is continuously moving in the world around us. A lot of times in a university setting, we can feel isolated or um, we can stay in our own little world. And I think this will give us an opportunity to see how God's not only moving in other lives, um, but also provides us an opportunity to perhaps open some doors for some people. Um, it can be a door opening for some of our students to partner with others for ministry uh, through internships, uh, volunteer service, or you know, even in some cases, uh, further employment once they graduate. And the third and perhaps the most important reason for adding this is to simply discuss ministry and discuss the faith. Um, I'm all about just candidly talking about our faith and being honest about things. A lot of times in the church, it, it feels like we can put on a show and we can act like we have it all together. It's kind of as if we're wearing a mask, and I think we need to pull back the mask a little bit and just be honest about our emotion, be honest about what's going on in the world, um, be honest about um, how maybe we're coming up short, and maybe some things that we're doing right. So it's my hope that we can just have some candid conversations and 
Um, just be open about what God is wanting to do in and through us. Um, you know, KCU finds its roots in a movement called the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Movement. And a, uh, a quote that's thrown, a, thrown around a lot in um, this movement is, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. And, you know, ever since I heard that for the first time, um, it, it has really stuck with me because it's it's one thing to know a lot and to agree on certain beliefs. It's another to disagree with, you know, love and meekness. But it's a whole other thing to know a lot, to be able to disagree with other people, and to love despite those things. I think a lot of times too, the churches it's 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 really easy to become divisive. It's really easy to split churches and um, friendships and uh, faith communities over non-essential things of the faith. I think it's important to learn all that we can, but if we allow non-essential things to divide the body of Christ and, and distort our mission of bringing the kingdom to earth and being an example of the love of Christ, then you know, we, we are failing. So it's my hope that as we talk, um, however long this goes, you know, um, if it just lasts a school year, if it goes beyond this, um, it's my hope that as we talk with other people, as we talk with students, as we talk with faculty and staff, that we can be united in our essential beliefs about who Jesus is and who God is and what his plan is for the world and for us, that we can disagree and love on the non-essentials, and that we can just do all of this for the sake of extending the kingdom of God together and to be an example and to help pe push people further in their walks or help them wrestle with some things or just be an encouragement. Um, so, you know, those are some of the goals for what this could be. And, um, man, I'm just excited. Uh, we're in a new school year and, you know, we never thought it would be like this. I mean, I wouldn't be thinking that um, you know, students would have to come to my office wearing masks and making sure they're staying six feet away. Um, I, I never expected this world. I don't think any of us did. I mean, in fact, you know, no generation alive right now, for the most part, has ever experienced anything like this. So it's only going to help if we work together, if we love better, if 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 we we take care of one another. So. That's kind of where my heart is with this and why I think this could be a, um, a good thing for us here at KCU and, again, for anybody that's willing to listen. Um, I'd like to take a little bit this, um, during this time and just, just talk about, you know, something that God's been working on my heart in the last year or so and how he's been shaping, um, in a sense, my philosophy of ministry and um, how he has been calling me to serve where I'm at. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get um, disgruntled um, and down, especially when we were in quarantine for so long and the students had to go home early. And, um, you know, it was tough. Even though I'm an introvert, it was tough just sitting at the house and um, not seeing anybody. And during that time, I got to a really low point, in all honesty, 
and um, God had to break me down a little bit, and I think he used that time to reorient me to a new way of doing ministry um, or a better way of doing ministry that's more holistic, that's more intentional, um, that that, that seeks the good for others. And no way am I saying I have this down perfect and there's, a, and there's several different ways we can do ministry. Um, but again, yeah, I just want to share what's on my heart with you this morning and, um, and we'll just go from there. Um, one of the passages that um, really stuck out to me um, during, during quarantine and and during this time when I've been trying to reevaluate maybe how I should do ministry or why I'm in ministry, um, was Isaiah six. And in Isaiah six, this is you know this is the famous passage where Isaiah is called into the faith, and it's his vision of the Lord. And I just want to read to you the first nine verses, and then I want to tell you those things that God's been working on in my life. Um, so Isaiah six one through nine reads. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he, could take, that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I then heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Remember, just continue through the rest of this chapter. It says, Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And, and he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. <coughs> so this this might seem like an odd scripture. Um, you know, when I tell you that God's been working on me and kind of reorienting me in my philosophy of ministry, but um, something that God's been working on me is that, again, I'm a very introverted person, and in transparency, I'm very insecure. Um, I, you know, I did well in school, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, um, 
I'm currently in a master's program. You know, I'm doing fine in those things, but I'm always very insecure about what I actually know. I'm insecure about the way I handle interactions with students and with um, my fellow colleagues and peers. I'm often insecure about my emotion. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty emotional guy, and I always have been, and, and I've always felt like I had to monitor that and um, not reveal too much until it just blows up, and then I reveal way too much. And um, it's just, it's embarrassing. And um, I've I realized during this time that God's able to work through those insecurities. And God's calling me to trust him a little bit more in those areas. Because here's the thing, in the faith, there's these three areas that I think that we should all be continuously reoriented in and growing in. And it's, you know, use three fancy words. And it's our orthodoxy, our orthopraxy, and our orthopathy. So it's, you know, our orthodoxy is, you know, the right doctrines, right? It's what we know. It's the knowledge that we have of God and his character and his, and his plans, but it's also orthopraxy. It's, you know, it's right action towards God and towards others. But then there's also orthopathy, the right feelings about God. You know, it's an incredible thing, you know, if you read Scripture and you really digest it, Scripture has a unique way of hitting all of our senses. It has a unique way of holistically forming us if we allow it. You know, there's been seasons of my life where I'll fixate on just one of these things. So there's been seasons where I've fixated just on orthodoxy and having the most knowledge and thinking that is what God wants from me. And honestly, it made me rather argumentative and confrontational, and um, I was just an arrogant jerk. I mean, let's just be honest. There's been times where I've been just so fixated on orthopraxy that, you know, I felt so convicted to... Um, do certain things or act in certain ways and you know that's led me to get into some mistakes where I really don't think before I act and it's led me to have a messiah complex of sorts and then there's been other times where I fixated just on my emotions and if our emotions aren't processed in the right way in a healthy way then those can often be misleading and detrimental to the faith so I think God is looking to holistically form us in all three areas at all times, filtering our knowledge, filtering our action, and filtering our emotions through him and through what he actually asks us to do and what he wants us to do and what he wants us to think. Um, it's not enough just to fixate on one. I think that's when we get into trouble sometimes because Again, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not loving people or if you're not taking care of yourself mentally, what's the point? You know, I, I've been thinking a lot lately, and a lot of times we fixate so much on the sacrifice of Jesus, and we, and we fixate on those things, but we often neglect what he actually taught us. And that's not good either. You know, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and um, I might butcher his name, but a guy named Dr. Brian Loritz, um, or Loritz, he, um, he said a lot of times we're like vampire Christians where we just want the blood of Jesus without his voice. And I think that's so true. So, again, all this to say we need to, God, allow to 
holistically form us in our orthodoxy, so our knowledge, in our orthopathy, in our emotions, in our orthopraxy, our action. Um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 9, really serves as a good example of that. Um, so again, uh, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 9, we, we learn about God. That's the orthodoxy. We learn about the holiness of God. Um, you have the seraphim um, <laughs> going around God and proclaiming his holiness. Uh, in verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here we are seeing how there's a God that's worthy of praise from these angelic beings. That he is set apart, that he's transcendent, that he is other. So we're informed that there's something unique about this God. There's something different about this God, Yahweh. But not only do we learn essential truths about his holiness here, we also are informed of how emotionally we ought to respond, our orthopathy. And that comes in the form of Isaiah's confession. You know, he, he realizes the magnitude of God's holiness. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about it. But take a moment just to think, how big is God? How holy is God? How, how vast is he? You know, Isaiah is seeing this. He sees how worthy he is. And then in an instant, he considers himself. And that's verse 5. And he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is seeing Yahweh in this vision. And it immediately leads him to confession. It leads him to an emotional response. And I just want to stop here for a second because a lot of the times we talk about emotions as if they're a horrible thing in the church or we're very hesitant to use them as any kind of marker of where we're at. But one of the most beautiful things in the faith is that we have a God who's blessed us with emotion. We have a God who cares for us. Um, and this is something that makes the God of Christianity unique compared to any other gods and any other religions. Um, especially, you know, if we look at the New Testament church and the, and the settings they were in and just compare the God of the Bible to the Greek gods, um, I have a note here on my phone, and I can't remember what commentary I got this from, but I just want to read you this and just ponder um, what the scholar is saying historically about our God compared to these pagan gods and how much he cares for us. So it says, so to greet any Greek reading this, it must remember that most of the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament was written for Greeks. This would be a staggering and incredible picture. I think this is referring to when um, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. But again, the commentary says, John had written his whole gospel on the theme that in Jesus we see the mind of God. See, to the Greeks, the primary characteristic of God was what they called apatheia, 
which means total inability to feel any emotion whatsoever. So basically apathetic. And how did the Greeks come to attribute such a characteristic to God? Well, they argued like this. If we can feel sorrow or joy, gladness or grief, it means that someone can have an effect upon us. It means that for that moment, that person has power over us. And no one can have any power over God. And this must mean that God is essentially incapable of feeling any emotion whatsoever. So you see, the Greeks believed in an isolated, passionless, and compassionless God. But what a different picture Jesus gave to us. He showed us a God whose heart is wrung with anguish for the anguish of his people. The great thing Jesus did was to bring us the news of a God who cares. You see, I, I have to tend to agree with this scholar because I think of the shortest verse in Scripture, you know, Jesus wept, and we, you know, we, we often use it as a joke, like, okay, I memorized Scripture, Jesus wept. But those two words are so impactful. Because that's during the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And, you know, the, the people are saying, Jesus, if you just would have showed up, he'd still be alive. And Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was going to essentially make things right or, you know, again, display that he really was the son of God. But I think we have to ask the question, why did Jesus weep? I, I think it's because there's a reason we have emotions. It's a sad thing when people pass away. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is moved to tears over this man's death. It's okay to have emotion in the church. That's really what I'm getting at. Jesus felt anger at times. Jesus felt joy. He felt happiness. He was tempted. But he always filtered it in the most healthy and positive way, and that's through the eyes of God. So we talk about orthopathy. When we talk about right feelings towards God, it doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean feeling nothing. What it does mean is allowing yourself or giving yourself the permission to feel what you're feeling, but not allowing it to cause you to sin because that's not what Christ would have you do. You know, this is, again, it's something I've struggled with for many years. But for the first time in my life, when I finally gave myself permission to feel sad at times, to feel frustrated, to feel angry, to feel joy. I finally have a peace. And it's a peace from God, and it goes beyond all understanding. So I would just encourage you to filter those emotions through Christ, but give yourself permission to feel. You know, and let me speak to guys for a second, because admittedly, I mean, honestly, I, I can't speak to any women that are listening to this. 
But guys, don't believe the lie that to be more macho and masculine means guarding yourself from people seeing your feelings. That is a toxic lie. So I would just encourage you to lean into your emotions, filtering those through a Christian worldview. Just as we see with Isaiah, who is so overwhelmed with the knowledge of God's holiness that he's moved to he's moved to weeping. Lastly, actually, before I go on, um, if you want more biblical insight or support for this idea that we're allowed to process our emotions or bring them before God, I just want to encourage you to look at the Psalms of Lament. Look at these people's real prayers to God when they were in anguish and suffering. You know, the Psalms are interesting in that it's not God's word to us, but it's man's word to God. And there's a reason I think God, you know, that's a part of our scripture. Because it serves as a model for us to process what we're going through. So anyway, anyway, I, I stayed on that a little bit too long. But then mixing our orthodoxy and our knowledge with the orthopathy and our feelings, we move to orthopraxy in our action. Um, I think this is something we always have to remind ourselves of, is that we are called to action. Our works don't save us, but faith without works is dead, as James tells us. Um, in Luke 4, one of the first times that you know, Jesus is in the temple or in the synagogue, and um, he, is, he is among the Pharisees, and one moment, uh, turn there. I think it's Luke 4. So he's rejected at Nazareth. And um, I'll just read it to you. Luke 4, uh, 16 through 19 says this. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. So this is the first time that we really see Jesus preaching. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One of the first times Jesus preaches, especially amongst the religious elite, the religious people's, he turns to Isaiah in a passage that calls for right action, that calls for justice. I know this is a hot-button issue, and I'm not going to get into too many details, but Christian brothers and sisters, you are called to justice. You are called to action. It's right here from the words of Jesus. Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recover sight for the blind. Set liberty to those who are oppressed. And I just want you to consider, are you living into that? So it's in our call to know more about God. It's in our call to feel the right way about God. And it's in our call to act justly on behalf of God that ministry intersects. Right, and that's what God's really been working on me, that our faith and our ministry 
It has to intersect in these three areas. And when these three areas intersect, that's when discipleship happens. That's when good things happen. Because not only are we allowing God to holistically form us, we are holistically and intentionally reaching out to other people. We're not just concerned about what they know. We're not just concerned about what they feel. We're not just concerned about how they act. We're concerned about the whole person for all they are and all they're worth as image bearers of Christ. That is a beautiful thing. So our ministry here at KCU, my ministry here at KCU, um, you know, I'm saying this partly because I would I would implore you to do the same wherever you are at, but you know, it's kind of an accountability thing because if I'm not holistically trying to reach people, then what am I doing? We have to be concerned about the whole person, just as we're concerned with knowing the whole Christ and the whole God. We owe it to our brothers and sisters. We owe it to God. So it's my hope that we can love better by caring about what people think, by caring about how people feel, by caring about how we act and how they act. It's my hope that we can lay aside, you know, our assumptions and our and our biases for the sake of others. That we would be humble that we would love well. Uh, before I close, um, that's really a lot of what I just want to talk about this morning. It's just why are we doing this? You know, why do we have podcasts now? And, you know, what does ministry look like here on a, uh, I guess, a philosophical maybe is the way we describe it, uh, scale. But I also want to just describe these. We will be talking a lot about chapel topics and uh having guest speakers and things like that on the podcast. So um, I just want to explain a little bit about where our theme is coming for, from for the year. So um, our theme for the school year is at the table. And we are drawing from Luke 22 and really any reference to um, the Lord's Supper in the upper room in the Passion Accounts. And the reason um, we're going with this idea of at the table is because God has a unique way of showing up at tables in Scripture. Um, and I could give you a long list of those references, but one of the most compelling things that, you know, as I was researching, if this is really what I wanted to do, um, is that um, I think it's Eugene Peterson talks about how um, the entire Old Testament kind of finds its climax or its, or its hinging point on the Passover meal and what it represents. And we can say the same thing of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. It's this, it's this uh, cycle of blessings and brokenness and gifts. Um, and, and God's in the business of blessing us. God's in the bless is in the business of sometimes breaking us down or being broken himself for us. And he's also in the blessing of you know giving us what we need in the sense of spirituality. Um Another reason is it, it kind of hits home for me, and I think meals at a table are so unique. I think it's something we've all experienced. There's something incredible that happens at a table. You know, a lot of times people talk about um, 
the five love languages. And, you know, they talk about, you know, words of affirmation and acts of service and receiving gifts and quality time and physical touch. But I think meals or food should be on there. I think a lot of us would agree with that. Um, it's funny, you know, growing up, I hated to cook. You know, I was kind of, it was kind of a running joke in my family. Um, I just wanted fast food or I wanted, you know, pizza rolls, chicken nuggets, uh, chicken patties, you know, anything I could fry up and it's really unhealthy for me. And um, once I got married to my wife, Amanda, you know, one of us had to learn to cook. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go with any kind of joke like, oh, she should be in the kitchen because that's ridiculous and that's ignorant. But, you know, I started to learn to cook when we got married, and, you know, now I love it. And it's not even necessarily that I love the process of cooking. It's that I love cooking for someone. I love being able to not only enjoy that meal with her, but, you know, it's during dinner at the table that we can reminisce about the day, and we can just enjoy each other's company. You know, a similar, you know, memory comes to mind is that, you know, I didn't grow up in a church church going home, but every Sunday it was our tradition. It was our it was it was our religious ceremony that we went to my grandma and grandparents' house in Rio Grande, Ohio. And not just my family, but all of my extended family on my dad's side. And without fail, we were there on Sundays unless we were in some kind of sport. But even then, a lot of times we would stop by afterwards or before. And it was tradition that we would all eat dinner from the best cook in the world, uh, my grandma. And uh, sadly, she's not with us anymore. And I wish I wish I would have appreciated her meals a little bit more when I was younger. Because as I said, you know, I want a chicken nuggets. So my, my grandpa would often just go over to McDonald's and get me something while everyone else ate the fantastic food. You know, I'm, I'm left to this day trying to recreate some of her meals just so we can taste them one more time. But anyway, so our religion, in a sense, was to go there every single weekend and share in a meal. And it was at that table that I learned what grace was. It was at that table where I learned what love was. It was at that table where I, where I learned um, how to play cards. It was at that table where I learned to laugh until I heard. It was at that table where I, I understood how red my face could get because I get got embarrassed easy. <laughs> it, it was at that table that um, I mourned the loss of a family member for the first time. You see, there's incredible things that happen at a table, and I think, again, a lot of you might have some of the same memories and experiences. There's a lot of love there. There's a lot of grace. You know, I was fortunate enough before taking this position that I was fortunate enough to buy my grandparents' home after they had passed. And we lo- we left a lot of the things in the house the same. It was just it was just home. But one thing that did change was that dining room table did not stay there. Because my dad, that was the one thing he wanted. You know, I almost, my dad's not an emotional guy. Love him to death, but he's not an emotional guy, and that's fine. But I still remember him tearing up just a little bit at the prospect of not having that, 
not having that dining room table to keep. Because that same dining room table that I learned all those things at, he learned all those things at. He grew up at that table with his family. And they still have it. He actually, um, my parents actually bought the house after we moved. So that table's back in that dining room. And we're able to make even more memories there. We let our, we let our guards down at the table. We make memories at the table. We, we, we talk about our dreams at the table. God invites us to his table. He prepares a table for us. And this year, we're just going to talk about what that looks like. What does it mean to sit at the table with people that are different than us? What does it mean that Jesus gave up his body and his blood for us? What does it mean to argue at the table? And so many more things. So we're going to talk to a lot of different people about some some, uh, specifics in that theme. So um, if you are planning on continuing to join us, um, that's just a little insight of some of the things that we're going to be talking about um, and going over this this school year. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know this was long, and um, if you've made it this far, thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, I'm excited to see how this can maybe be encouraging. If it's just encouraging to one person, then we've done our job. As cliche as that sounds, it's, it's true. Um, so... With that, um, I hope that you'll tune in on Friday and uh, we'll continue the conversation. But until then, I hope you have a blessed day. And um, I'm going to steal this from my minister, but in case no one's told you today, uh, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know. And we here at KCU do too. I hope you have a good day and grace and peace to you all.